Ladies and gentlemen, trans and non-binary punks of all ages and denominations, welcome back to another episode of Not Just Phase. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for being here on this crazy planet we call Earth. We're online at notjustphase.net and on Instagram at notjustphase worldwide. And occasionally we're tweeting some nonsense over at notjustphase, well, NJAP worldwide on Twitter. Today we have with us an absolutely crushing, deliciously heavy, but incredibly poignantly political band. One of my recent favorites to come out, the Holy Ghost Tabernacle Choir. We're joined by Nat. Um, Nat, if you'd like to introduce yourself. Hey guys, uh, I'm Nat Lacuna. I do vocals and noise in the Holy Ghost Tabernacle Choir. Um, thank you so much for having us. I'm very humbled to be here. Hey there, this is Nat Lacuna from the Holy Ghost Tabernacle Choir. This is Not Just a Phase podcast, and you are listening to our song, Thinking About the Immortality of the Crab. super psyched to have you um so thanks for joining us as well uh so we like to see um you know since we are a podcast uh, we're curious often like do you listen to any type of podcasts i do i don't listen to terribly many but i listen to a few um i mainly listen to like song exploder her uh hosted by hershey k hirway who is an incredible musician from the 1am radio and i just really love what he does with podcasting and then um also a discography podcast which my friend jeremy and jeff run and it's just going through the death wish incorporated discography and just talking about all those releases which have some of my favorites that's awesome never heard of that second one that sounds really cool check that out it's awesome they have some really cool guests on it uh one of my favorite lyricists of all time is a G. Hirsch from Blacklisted, and he's been mm-hmm. on, I think, three episodes now. Just <laughs> talking about different Blacklisted releases. And it's so fantastic. cool. That's awesome. So, aside from the, so the Blacklisted ones are your favorite episodes. Is there another one that you were kind of surprised you heard and you were like, yo, this is actually really sick? Um, I like when they talk about Converge Records too, just yeah. because they have some very differing opinions than I do. Mm. <laughs> and so, we've had some interesting discussions about it. Okay, why are you uh are you like a Halo and a Haystack kind of person? Or are you more like I know you know 
or are you like an I you know there are those like kind of almost anti Jane Doe fans of Converge out there? I am by no means an anti Jane Doe fan, but it is like directly in the middle of my ranking of Converge records. Okay. Uh, my favorite Converge records are When Forever Comes Crashing and Axe to Fall. Okay. I was going to say, as long as Axe to Fall is in there, then we, we don't have to have any band podcast beef. It's all good. Perfect. <laughs> okay. And so we also like to kind of like break into it. Like, how did you first kind of get into, um, like punk rock music or the underground music scene in your area? Like, was it um, something you kind of just stumbled into? Was it like a band that drew you in? Like, how did that all happen? So funnily enough, I was actually kind of talking about this a little bit earlier today with uh, the band we're on tour with right now, Dying Whale. And um, we were talking about how we got into this kind of music. And I was a really big internet kid. And so I was growing up in like forum websites and on like guy online and things like that and i basically found this thread about some like band cam screamo stuff and i was there for the transition from like pure volume and uh reverb nation over to Bandcamp and like the entire beginning of Bandcamp. nice and so i got really into like the up-and-coming post-hardcore and screamo bands that were rising from that and I got really into all of the like Jack Seneff projects, mm -hmm. like uh, William Bonnie, Midwest Pen Pals, things like that, and Frameworks. Mm -hmm. And that was how I got into that kind of uh, music. And like the first DIY show I ever went to was Frameworks opening for Full of Hell in That's Jacksonville. Awesome. Holy shit. And I like went and saw Frameworks. And then I watched a few songs of Full Hell and I like didn't get it and then went home and then like a couple months later I was like very into that band. So it just mm -hmm. got way weirder from there. That's awesome. That's so rad. So, okay, like from that earlier era then, I remember the end the end of Pure Volume Two. Do you remember like aside from those bands, was there any other like smaller local bands that you kind of found during that time too? Or was it mostly stuff you just kind of saw other people posting about? Mainly stuff that I saw other people posting about just because I grew up in St. Augustine, Florida mm. uh, for a lot of my childhood and there really wasn't much of a scene there. There was like an up and coming punk scene in the 90s and then an up and coming punk scene in the 2010s, like mm. later in the 2010s, but nothing really in between very much. There were like a couple all rock bands and way more jam bands than should be in any city. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, that was about it. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. So currently, um, like, where do you hail from? And what's this? What's that scene kind of look like in your area right now? So I live in Savannah, Georgia now with the band. That's where we're based out of. Mm. And it is pretty widely known for being, like, the birthplace of a lot of heavyweight artists. Like, you know, you have Baroness from here, Kylesa. Mm -hmm. You've got Black Tusk, all of those like bands that have kind of made bigger waves in that area. Yeah. But it suffered for a really long time after those bands kind of hit their heyday and most of them either dissolved or moved away. Yeah. And then, uh, or just became less and less active. Like Black Tusk is still an active band, but not as terribly much in Savannah. Mm -hmm. And so the Savannah scene just kind of dwindled away with a lot of venue closures, a lot of suffering, and not a lot of new people who were super interested in DIY music or really heavy music. And so 
it's something that we're getting more into now with promoters like AuraFest and Sanitary Collective. And as we're gearing up for the reopening of the Jinx, which is a really historic venue in the city, and just trying our best to make weird heavy music a thing again, now we're getting into the swing of things where it's starting to bud again. That's a really good feeling because I feel like we've been a pretty direct part of that, which is awesome. That's so awesome. And that's so great to hear. I'm really happy to hear that your scene's kind of coming back to life again. And uh, I mean, I know Savannah, Georgia, just because I am a massive Circle Takes the Square fanboy. So I always thought Savannah was like the spot for a really long time. So it's really nice to hear that everything's kind of reviving again. So right now, like what the scene kind of coming back to life, like, is there any like, is there like one or two local bands that are happening right now that you think people should know about? Yeah, I would say that there are a few. Um, Lobstrosity is a newer band that's like lobster-themed black metal. <laughs> and uh, they're pretty awesome. Other than that, some cool... So there's this band called Oceaner right now who's like just now starting, and it's actually some friends of ours, and they share our practice space, and they sound fantastic so far. They're, they kind of take more influence from like massive-style riffs, Mm-hmm. but they're a little bit more aggressive with it. It's not as proggy, it's more aggressive, which is a lot of fun. And they're getting started. They've got a few songs written. Um, there's a band called Measurement, which just started, which actually has some old members of uh, Kylesa and some old members of Black Tusk, and they do some more like really power, like power vocals over some cool metal riffs uh their vocalist jen is really awesome she sounds fantastic they just played their first show a little while ago um long way down is a screamo band from in town that's getting pretty big they're oh, i love long way down something on Segma. yeah they just released something on Segma beach Records, so they're pretty good and yeah i think that's really about it sins of godless men has been around for a long time as well but they're still active, still writing stuff. And I think that they're deserving of attention as well. That's really awesome. Man, that's so cool. It's always nice to hear, like, because sometimes people will mention their scenes coming back and then they only get to talk about a few bands. But it sounds like the scene's, like, really coming back over there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Everyone is kind of working on it together. Like, there were times where when it was first starting, there was, like, some petty beef about stuff, but we kind of all got past it for the greater good of everything and just... Nice. Trying to move forward to make sure that everyone has a scene to participate in. Damn. That's really, that's lovely to hear. Um, so I wanted to pivot a little bit to talk about, I know Slow Murder like came out last year. I want to say, uh, was it like December? Maybe November? October. October, damn. My bad. Um, but it... Um, was so really like kind of caught me by surprise because I'd heard I'd seen your name and like I I think I followed you guys on Instagram and I'd seen some of the singles come out and it was really I really enjoyed a lot of what I heard and so when the album dropped um, I was really excited I was curious who who mixed and mastered the album so we recorded with Scary from Black Tusk at his studio Hidden Audio and he did the mixing for the record and then Jonathan Nunez from Torch and Shitstorm actually mastered the record. That's sick. And then um, for the artwork, did you did you all do that yourselves or did you have like someone you worked with on that as well? I did that myself, actually. I uh, 
I took the photo, I did all the editing to it, I did the layout, all of the design work inside the records, I picked the record colors, I did all of the typography work, our logos, oh, pretty wow. much everything. That's awesome. So you're, you're also kind of like a graphic designer as well? Yeah, I do logo design and graphic design semi-professionally, and um, I also do photography, and I try to have my hand in as many creative things as possible. I also write for New Noise Magazine. Oh, very awesome. Okay, well, so for the album art, I really, I love the, the color palette you chose to start because it's really, I mean, tell me if it sounds stereotypical, but it does feel like a down home, like kind of Southern relaxed, like twilight happening. And I really enjoy the juxtaposition that the, typography you had and also the title you had just like sticks in the middle where it just says slow murder so there's this like peaceful sereneness kind of happening or serene scenicness kind of happening and then you just have this really kind of like almost horrific like blotch happening is it when you were like kind of coming up with that idea like what did, what were you what did you want to kind of get across i wanted it to kind of feel like sitting in a field watching the apocalypse happen because mm -hmm. like the the whole color palette of it, you know, it's very red. It's very orange, which, like, I took that photo at, like, 11 in the morning. Mm. So it's, like, it was a really bright day. Like, the original picture is, like, super blue. It's very, like, cool tone, very, like, bright. And I was, like, I want to make this feel like something is unnatural or something that shouldn't be happening is happening. Mm. Okay, yeah, like that... Uh... It actually, okay, now that you mentioned it, it, does remind me a little bit of that scene in Terminator 2, I think, where she's, like, envisioning the the bomb, the A-bomb going off in, like, downtown LA. It kind of has that color palette a little bit. Absolutely. that I, That's not a direct influence, but something I can definitely see. <laughs> that's really awesome. And so, you know, the album as a whole, like, kind of feels like it has this air of claustrophobia, both through, like, the really intense, like, instrumentation they all do and also like the lyrics that you write that obviously feels like really informed by like the state of the world especially the state of life in america like with the mass shootings the police state trans people basically having war being waged on them right now uh, both in like physical and political spheres um like the further rise of right-wing nationalism and I, I felt like all of this really did feel um distilled in a track like uh Nyema that's like really you're really succinct in your narrative on it but like it kind of hits every single note that is kind of broadly broached in other parts of the album um so I was really curious about if you could give like a little bit more insight onto like how you were writing the lyrics for the album and also like the album itself as like time went on and also like your state of mind you were in absolutely so I feel like I the state of mind that I have when I'm writing lyrics. So lyrics come very quickly for me. Usually when we write a track, we're usually all in a in a room together and we'll write a song usually in a practice or two. And uh, we have a very solid writing chemistry where like, well, someone will bring forward a riff or an idea for something and we'll start working on it and shopping it. And then we'll just start spitballing, like where should it go from here? Where should it go from here? And I'll just be like, sitting and watching and feeling the vibes more than anything and then i'll try to find stuff that i've either either written before or stuff that i feel like i have a good idea of writing about for what it, the song feels like as it starts developing and usually once we finish 
the skeletal structure of a song, I'll have them play it like a couple of times. And by the end of the third or fourth time, I'll have lyrics somewhat finished. And then I'll be working on like actually placing them and doing the words out loud with them while they're playing. Mm. That's just how it goes. And a lot of that stuff is just the stuff that I'm most passionate about and the stuff that comes easiest for me to talk about as like right. a very openly queer person and openly non-binary person and someone who's very, very passionate about the struggling that so many marginalized groups face in so many different parts of life simply for just existing. And so it's just something that I always very easily felt to write about. Um, and also a lot of it was kind of derived from a book that I read, which uh, David Boynerovich was a really, really fantastic article writer in the 80s and 90s. Mm-hmm. And he wrote this collection of essays that was then published as a like faux memoir called Living Close to the Knives a memoir of disintegration and it was our essays that he wrote about living in America as a gay person going through the AIDS epidemic and seeing so many of your friends die, seeing so many of your lovers die and seeing how the entire world who isn't involved in these communities just goes through this entire sense of apathy about it. And there's no care. There's no real empathy. And so a lot of the writing and a lot of the passages in the record are actually directly taken from that. And even the name of the record is from a passage that he wrote that's actually in the beginning of Naima. And Naima is a really interesting song specifically because it was a song that we wrote and then felt very, uh, it felt like an old friend of the scene and her name was Naima Ross and she like people knew her as Naima Screama. And she was like a huge, huge supporter of so much of the Savannah scene for so long. And she developed an infection in her lungs where she basically had to choose between like feeding her children and getting medication to cure the infection. And she obviously chose to feed her kids and then ended up dying from the infection and it was like there are so many different levels to mistreatment and like so many different levels to the type of suffering that people face in a marginalized group that are just kind of glossed over or not really understood on that level and so that song felt like something that kind of tapped into that a little bit more
I really, I really felt it that, you know, I guess, okay, so that kind of clarifies there's this, I think there's this one there um, wrote down, I'm, I'm playing pretend for this machine that's eating everything I love in me, no one else is playing along. I feel like the thread that you connected between um, the journalist you're speaking of, David, I'm gonna, I hope I don't mess up his name, Wojnarowicz? And Wojnarowicz, um, uh, yeah. Wojnarowicz, I'm so sorry, and uh, Naima. It, it's a strange last name for sure. It's actually kind of pretty. Yeah. Sounds like, it sounds like Voyage. So that's cool. Hmm. Yeah, but it's yeah, it's really an incredible track. And thank you for sharing um that story about Naima with us. I think that that's unfortunately a story that is like kind of common in a lot of different places. And it definitely is because of like everything that's going on and like this denial of what's happening to people on the ground through policy failure, through like social failure, like so many things. Like I think that's what really makes Slow Murder actually such like a gripping album and like the all such like a gripping band because there are a lot of bands talking about it but i, I don't know i i think you're, you i really enjoy your lyricism so sorry if this actually turned into a fanboy thing but um my other question was i really like the way one of my actually favorite things about the album is that in the credits for the album like each member of the band is credited with vocals and um as someone who likes reading like liner notes and like album credits and stuff it really kind of drew a, like a full complete picture of the album even more for me because it really gives this thing the whole feeling of like more than just like a, a single person's view being expressed in the album and um, I was wondering if you like wouldn't mind like taking a second to talk about like what that means to you and like your bandmates or like the band as a whole like to was that just something that kind of you all just contributed vocals and you wanted to happen or is this like a specific thing that you had in mind while you were writing it um, all of us just wanted to contribute vocals. Our guitarist, Aaron Gibbons, does the least vocals out of all of us, but he still wanted to participate in the recording of the album. Mm -hmm. So it just felt right to have everyone kind of involved. And I also think it's kind of funny to have, when you have four vocalists all working together, it does become more of like a choir. Yeah. In a way. Right. So I think that that was just like a funny happenstance. But leave our bassist Tanner, our drummer and i we all three of us do vocals live at every show mm -hmm. and when we're writing vocals we each like take turns writing vocal parts where like even sleeve has written entire vocals for some of our older songs so that's like i'll be the one who's screaming them but he'll be the one who wrote the lyrics and it just it's a very cool collaborative process because we're all working on different parts of structure and lyricism together as a whole and talking about ideas and topics and where we want to go with it. That's really that's really cool to hear. And like as a collaborative process, it definitely makes sense because your band sounds so cohesive. And yeah, I've seen like live videos of y'all performing too, and it definitely feels that way. Like y'all kind of operate as a unit in like this really specific way, and it's really cool. I'm hoping. You know, not to push, but you know, when you come out west, I'll be very excited to see you. Uh, fall. Ooh. What okay. part of the west are you in? You're, uh, you're in California, Southern, right? Southern California, yeah. Um, what part do you know? Oh, uh, so I'm like between LA and San Diego. So if you play in LA or San Diego, I'd probably come. Unless you're playing Orange County, then I'll definitely be there. Okay, I'll. We'll try to see what we can make happen. We're trying to plan 
a full U.S. fall tour. And I know that we're trying to plan some California dates and some Colorado dates and things like that. So okay, cool. I'm working actually, on it. Cool. I might know a few people if you don't didn't have anyone in mind, so we can talk about this after, actually. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the album came out on, on Graveface, right? Uh, were you? I know Graveface is like kind of a you know they've been around for a bit like they're a little bit of an underground legend like was that like did it feel like obvious to be like yeah we want to be on great face or did you shop the record around like how did that come about we did shop the record around um but ryan from Grayface, so Grayface has run out of savannah mm. and he watched a lot of our shows when we were up and coming and he actually approached me like the very first person to ever approached me about the record and he was like when are you guys making an album? And at the point in time that he asked us, we had like not planned on writing an album. Um, the way this record, the way that Slow Murder came about was a very organically in like a very strange way mm. where we had just started writing a couple of songs for like splits that we had planned with other bands and like potentially doing like a second EP and stuff like that. And then we had like five songs and then we ended up writing another one and then ended up writing two of them in studio and then uh, doing an additional noise track. And so we just like kind of forced ourselves to create an album from it. Okay. And, you know, we spent three days in the studio with Scary Total. So it was like three 12 hour periods of time total for everything. Oh, wow. And including the writing of those two songs and we tracked everything individually and it was a very very fun experience and it was something that we kind of pushed ourselves with and we decided to go for it and we chopped around the record a little bit we were in talks with a couple other labels who have like varying degrees of interest and ryan was just like i'm pretty passionate about the record i would love to put it out if you guys would like it was a very very like it kind of felt just like a friend doing us a favor more than mm. anything. It was like a no contract type of deal. Right. And like, we just like, basically we paid for like the art cause we did it ourselves and like paid for the recording mm-hmm. and everything like that. And he just like fronted the money to produce cassettes and records. And we fronted the money to like do uh, CDs and like PR and stuff like that. So it was like more so a collaborative thing and we worked together on it, but it was a huge privilege because their roster is massive and full of bands that I really love. So I was like, this is a cool thing. And we've had some gray face fans who have then become fans of us, but also uh, not a lot of gray face fans are into super heavy music. So it was a little bit of a challenge for that. Right. I had to preach on through to them or like, you know, at least find your in with them. Yeah, exactly. That's really cool. I just gotta say, I love the way the record looks in the mock-ups. I, I haven't gotten to buy a copy yet, but the way that the colors match with the cover, it just looks fantastic. Um, was that also something Thank kind you. of? Was that also something you like? Kind of were like, I, it has to look like this. Um, I did that myself. Yeah, I like didn't even. I'll be honest. It was like kind of the thing that I did the most. Is I was like, I'm gonna do something selfish, but I was like, I have a very specific vision for how I want these records to look. So I didn't even ask my bandmates. I just like sent him the color mock-ups that I wanted. <laughs> I sent him a list of eight that I was like, I think these will look best with the record cover. 
uh, pick whatever you'd like for whatever counts. And he ended up doing six total colors of it. And I was like, holy shit, that's way more than I expected. But that's I'm so very awesome. happy with all of them. Wow, that's really sick. So I know you... Yeah, and even like... Uh, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to step over you. But, oh, no, go ahead. Um, even the exclusive colors that we got to do with uh, Tiger Records, the record shop in Jacksonville, mm-hmm. that's owned by James from Loma Prieta and Bain. Um, he has a copy, a uh, colorway that is a... It's like Easter yellow, so like a pastel yellow with oxblood splatter. And that one's really nice, and it has a screen-printed alternate color cover. And then um, Salvaged Records uh, run out of Gainesville, which actually Jeremy from the Deskography podcast I was talking about earlier, that's his mm-hmm. uh, DIY label that he runs. And uh, he got Clear with Blood Red Smoke as mm-hmm. his exclusive colorway for salvaged records. And that one's really awesome. And those are both the variants that we have on tour with us right now. Cause you can't get them anywhere else. Oh, that's so sick. Yeah. They look, they, they look, all look so clean. I think, I think there's some that are still, you still have some for sale on Bandcamp. Yeah. So Grayface still has a bunch for sale, the Brown and Oxblood and the um, orange crush, a side and Oxblood B side uh, smash. Okay, very cool. You heard that, people. Make sure to go cop that. Yeah, and then um, the Grayface. Grayface has like a subscription club that they do where you get an exclusive colorway pressing of the record and they're like hand-numbered and everything like that. And that colorway was highlighter yellow with blood red splatter, which uh, I like to call the McDonald's splatter because I thought it looked <laughs> hilarious. It does sound and very then, mcdonalds um, And then we have one that's just a bright neon magenta color that's in the reserves man it's so sick i love colorful records so all of your stuff has been very eye-catching so it's just really sick absolutely Um, no one has complained about no black records yet and if anyone does (laughs) i'm gonna hit them that's uh i always feel like people get weird about that kind of thing where they're like why why isn't it just like a plain one it's like do you want like the whole thing as the band wanted it presented or do you just i don't understand you know yeah when you're mass producing, like it makes sense, you know, when you're like Adele, I guess, but we saw how well that went. So it's, you know, just enjoy the colors, man. Um, I know you guys are on tour right now. Um, so do you want to talk a little bit about that and tell me how it's been going? Yeah, absolutely. So we uh, just pulled in to load in at the second date, which is in Raleigh, North Carolina. And uh, we just played our first show last night in Augusta, mm-hmm. Georgia. And it was great start, really wonderful. We played at Grand Ski Records. It's a really cool space that I really hope more people stop through because I think middle Georgia needs a lot more attention when it comes to live music. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, I just think that it's going really well so far. We're with Dying Whale for a week, and then we're with Dreamwell for a second week, and then Guilt for a third week. And we've got two dates where we're just by ourselves, which are Bluefield, West Virginia and Oklahoma City. Mm. Yeah, because you guys are on for about a month, right? Almost a month. Uh, Yeah, it's just over three weeks. And then you have that, I think y'all were playing a festival, right? Yeah, we're playing Lost in St. Pete Festival, uh, which is a really really cool festival in the tampa area of florida Mm -hmm. it is 
such a cool like collective thing that's put on by a bunch of DIY artists and creative people. And we're playing on Friday, April 28th with Zeta, Potention, um, Timothy Erie, uh, Witchbender, and a few other bands. But it's going to be a really fun time. That's super awesome. Yeah, this tour looks great. I think I saw y'all you, uh, had shows with um, like Pyre and like hundreds of AU and some other really sick bands. And of course, Streamwell is awesome. Yeah, absolutely. We're super excited. And like the show that we're playing tomorrow in Philadelphia, we, um, we've been working really hard on that one because the venue changed like four times this week. Oof. And it's just a nightmare in itself. But it ended up crossing over with a tour that is Doom Beach from Connecticut and a Paramount of Love Supreme Ooh. from Delaware. And both those bands are fantastic. So I'm super excited to play with both of them. That's very awesome. I love a Paramount of Love Supreme. Yeah, they're awesome. They're super rad. That's so cool. So, I mean, this sort of just started, but I was wondering also, like, do you have a memory, like a favorite memory from like a previous tour or like a show you had done that like you'd like to tell us about? So we haven't really done much touring. We've done a few weekenders here and there. Mm -hmm. um, I would say, so this is like our first real like legitimate tour where we're actually like going places that we've never been before. Um, in January, we did a 10-day tour with our friends from Georgia Clavis, and it was three days in Georgia and then seven days in Florida. Mm -hmm. And I think that one of the most interesting shows on that run that I would like to talk about was like playing in my hometown, which was Cape Coral, Florida, which is where I was like a little kid. And I, uh, we played there and we played like a super weird show. It was like very strange and it felt like a proper send off for the years that I spent there as a child. Okay. Was it like and a mixed bill or so it was so it it was kind of a mixed bill. There was like a riot girl punk band who opened and they were cool. And then there was like a more shoegazy band that played, and then it was Clavis who's like noise rock metalcore, and then us. And it was just very strange. But, like, venue was kind of weird. And, like, all around, it was just, like, the vibes were strange. I had a lot of family members who said that they would come out who still live <laughs> in the area. And, like, none of them showed up. Oh, shit, dude. And it was just, like, a weird thing. It was, like, a very <laughs> strange night. And I, like, had a very terrible time. And so I feel like that's why it sticks out for me. But it was more, like, an emotionally terrible time than anything else. Because, like... The staff were really nice, mm -hmm. and like the people who ran the show were very nice, but it was just like a weird vibe. And it was just funny because, like, I had family members who, you know, live like 10, 15 minutes away from the venue who didn't come out after they said that they would. And then, yeah. like, I had a friend who was just visiting from like fucking Indiana <laughs> who ended up showing up. So, like, of course, yeah. this would happen. Right. That sounds that does sound like actually like a really awful fever dream. Kind of. Yeah, it was so weird. But it that's, was a good time. I uh, I don't think we'll go back. That's totally fair. <laughs> it was a good experience. <laughs> no, I totally understand that. 
Um, so, I mean, you're playing with a lot of bands coming up, which I'm sure, you know, obviously you've mentioned like that you love a bunch of them. Is there a band that you would really love to play with that you're hoping to? Like, what's like your white whale of like, you'd want to open for them kind of one day? Could be any band too. Oh, man. So, okay. I'm going to break this up into categories because the band that I am most excited on this tour to play with yeah. is a band from Massachusetts called Crippling Alcoholism. <laughs> um, that band is so fucking good. I like cannot recommend that band enough to like everyone. Okay. That band is so fucking good. Um, it's like equal parts like Nick Cave post-punk stuff. And then, like, really, really heavy noise rock, like, chat pile and Ken Mode influence. Oh my God. So, it's, like, fantastic. And um, then, band who is broken up that I would, that is, like, my white whale to open for is uh, the Blood Brothers. Mm. Um, a band who is very active that I would like to open for is Oxbow. Ooh. And then a band who is not very active, but still a band technically that I would like to open for is Harvey Milk. It's all fantastic answers. So those are like three of my main influences. And I know that Eugene from Oxbow has listened to the record and he enjoyed it. We talked about it on Facebook and it was very surreal for me. Whoa. But uh, yeah, it was very cool. Oh, that's so, so cool. That's so rad. Okay, so quick. All right, quick aside then. Favorite Blood Brothers album? Um, hot take. Uh, Burn Piano Island. Burn. That's what's up. Now you're you're not wrong. So, I I think they they've never released anything bad. Um, everything they've done is fantastic. I brought a little like CD Walkman on tour with me and two boxes of CDs, and I brought March on Electric Children with me. Awesome. Um. And I, we were literally listening to Young Machetes in the van earlier today, like very shortly before I called. And Crimes is, of course, fantastic. Uh, I think all of the records are great. And truly, like any day, if I am listening to the record and you ask me what my favorite is, I might say whatever record I'm listening to. Mm. But most of the time, I go back to Burn Piano Island Burn the most, probably because it's the fastest and also... Uh, just the one that I feel like I can play around most people as well. Yeah. That's awesome. All right. Um, so in the kind of same vein as that last question, like who you'd like to, you know, open for or play with, uh, is there a band that you'd like to do a split with? Because I know you said earlier that you had, you get, y'all were working on some songs for splits and stuff, and then that kind of evolved to the album. Is there like a split that you'd want to put out? Um, Yes. Uh, oh, man, this is a good question. Let's see. I'm like trying to index my brain right now to find out who would be like a band that I feel like would be really well suited to do a split with. I mean, I don't know if it's Honestly, too much. I'll give you the concession, too. It could be like a three-way or four-way split. You know, people are doing those more now, which is great. So I'll let you in on the secret, which is that we are already doing a split with a band that was on that list, which is... um. They're a band from North Carolina called Rotting in Dirt. Nice. Which we're actually playing with tonight, and they're a fantastic band. Um, I think a band that I would really love to do a split with is Noel mm. from Tennessee. Yeah, they're sick. Um, 
They're very good friends of ours. They are fantastic. And we had joked previously about the next time we played together, we would do like a collaborative noise set. And I think it'd be really funny to do a split together with a collaborative track in the middle. That would be so sick. Like a second so, track. Yeah, exactly. I think it would be really awesome. And I think our sounds uh, go well together for very different reasons. Like we approach the same sound from very different angles. That'd be really sick. I can't wait to can't wait to hear that. Um, so you kind of answered this. I guess I know the answer to this one, but I always like to check and double check and see. So if, if there's one band that could do a reunion, who would it be and why? One band that could do a reunion. Yeah, that you can go I'm see. I'm going to give you a I'm going to give you a different answer than the Blood Brothers. That's just copying out and saying something. Eric. <laughs> um. My favorite band of all time, The Knife. Mm. I don't know much about the like knife. I. Oh my god, I I could I could do a whole podcast episode just talking to you about the knife <laughs> if you want, but um, it's in the long and short of it is they are a pair of siblings, uh, Kareen and Olaf Dreiser, and they are two Scandinavian siblings who made synth pop music about communism being trans and hating the police and the government That's from nice. the late 1990s to the mid 2010s and um as their music went on they got weirder and weirder and got darker and darker and started making like noisier stuff a lot of dark ambient stuff and um even like started like building their own instruments and their last tour was the Shaking the Habitual tour that they did with like a 30 person performance crew where all of them were in like these really cool jumpsuits and all of the like responsibilities like playing instruments and taking the lead vocals on songs and everything rotated between all of these people. And it was a really, really cool commentary and celebration of community and queerness. And it's like one of the most moving things I've ever seen in my life. And they uh, have the whole concert movie on YouTube, actually. Okay, I'm watching that tonight. That sounds incredible. It's so cool. Damn, that sounds so sick. I can't believe I had no idea, any idea about this band. That's so rad. Um, yeah, and I, I would definitely recommend watching the live film and then diving into their records from the last one up to the first one. Okay. I well, I know what I'm gonna be listening to this week. Hell yeah. Uh so from when you first got into the punk scene until now, like what are some of the good and bad changes you've seen in the community? Or that you've experienced yourself also? Um, good changes are accessibility. I think that more discussion about um marginalized groups is a very positive thing. I think that the more outspoken presence and active presence of people of color, disabled people, and queer people is a huge advantage that we have in the current iteration of the scene. Um, the most negative thing is too much Twitter. Yeah. Yeah, I could definitely agree with that. But it is very addictive. So it is. I'm on Twitter more than every other social media, and uh, it's a good thing and an awful thing. <laughs> That's yeah, that's very agreeable. Um, so we like to kind of wrap everything up with like 
some kind of like fun questions, you know, uh, like lighten sure. up, take take some brevity from everything. Um, you know, do you listen to? And I don't believe in this, but I know that a lot of other people do. Do you listen to any music that could be considered like a guilty pleasure, or like that you would maybe consider like shameful or cringy that you enjoy? I live in a post guilty pleasure existence. Um, That's what I up. think that. I think that music you enjoy should just be music you enjoy. However, music that I really, really, truly enjoy that uh, other people can tend to groan at mm. is um, probably, I like a lot of pop rock music, like radio <laughs> pop rock music. Okay. So like, I'm a huge Bastille fan and I'm a huge Glass Animals fan and I'm a huge Rainbow Kitten Surprise fan. Okay. Like I've, I've done like extensive traveling to see all three of those bands. Oh, sick. (laughs) So I'm like very into that kind of stuff. Um, But that's really about it. Like there's nothing that I'll like listen to that I'm like, man, no one else can hear me listening to this right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm with you. I I don't believe anyone should be shamed for enjoying something. I'm sure other people would find it weird. I still get grief because I'm very unabashed in my love of, uh, 90s boy bands that's what i that's what got me into music was listening to like nsync <laughs> and backstreet boys that's where it all started for me so some shit just doesn't that go rock. away yeah that's awesome <laughs> okay so assuming you're not a pacifist um if you could punch anyone in the face as hard as you possibly could right now with no repercussions who would it be and why ron DeSantis. Mm-hmm. we've been getting that one a lot lately like, if there is any one person who is directly responsible for the rise in anti-trans and anti-LGBTQ plus litigation and the way that schooling is being reformed, it is 100% him. And if I punched him as hard as I possibly could with no repercussion, I might be able to crack his skull and kill him. So I would really, 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 really want to do that yeah. uh, because that would prevent him from running for president. Yeah. which I know is inevitable. Yeah, so. yeah true. Well, ideally, it would be down some stairs. Uh, so. <laughs> that is true. Like parking garage stairs. Yeah, like a real or like those like really big fancy museum ones, you know, that are like twenty steps. Yeah, that's the dream. Um, so, what was your album of the year for twenty twenty two? Do you have one? Or if there's an album you've heard so far that you're like, this is going to make a top 10 list of mine, like, do you, um, which one would it be? Okay, so 2022, my top three were Soul Glow, mm-hmm. Diaspora Problems, uh, Chat Pile, God's Country, mm-hmm. and Birds in Row, uh, Greek Line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let me double check that real quick. I'm just remembering my list off the top of my head. No, yeah, that's it. I, I'm pretty. I love that version Row album so much. Same. That it was one. A, it was a grower for me because I was kind of like, this is different, and I was like, I don't know if I like this that much. And then uh, the more I listened to it, the more I was just like, no, it's Birds and Row. I love it. Yeah. Let me see. Um, oh, I'm a very silly goose. Um, <laughs> Uh, very obviously uh, an answer that was so obvious to me that I just didn't even say it was a uh, the Callis Dowboy celebrity therapist. Oh yeah, that was a crazy I, album. 
I do all of their merch designs. <laughs> and yeah. so like I listen to that record very heavily. And so I'm just like in my mind, I'm just like, yeah, that record is just what it is. And that's just in my mind always. Wait, you do uh, all the merch designs? Yeah. Are you responsible for those like I Huff Paint and listen to the Cal Style Points shirts? Because those are awesome. I sure I sure am. <laughs> Um, that's Carson and I, we get together and our two brain cells like <laughs> fight to the death and it creates some really fun ideas. Yeah. Um, genuinely the best merch then, in the game. Thank you. That's awesome. I'm glad to hear that. And then, uh, my favorite record so far this year, which I'm just going to give you voluntarily because I think more people should pay attention to it. There are three uh, I'll actually tell you four real quick because one of them's not released yet, so I feel kind of like a hack. Okay. But um, Post American by MS Paint is my number one so far. That's just so good. Um, yeah, everyone should be listening to that record, and that band is going to be fucking huge soon. I yeah. like. I'm so excited. Um, the next one is Oh Me Oh My by Lonnie Holly, mm. which is very far outside the genre. Um, it's on Jag Jaguar, which is. Mm. the label that has like Bon Iver and Sharon Bennett and stuff like that. But he is a 71 year old black man who uh, talks very candidly about the experience, like growing up in rural Alabama during slavery. Mm. And like, he has two features from more mother, a feature from Michael Stipe of OAR, um, a feature from Bon Iver. And it's just like genuinely moving music. It's like you can listen to it in any time of day and it feels right. And it's just like, like it moves the soul. It's like, it's really, really beautiful. Um, he maintains this air of positivity throughout all of it and through all of the like terrible shit that he's encountered in his life that he uh, has talked about. And it's really, really, really like amazing to hear. Mm. Um and then Dog's Body by Model Act Trees, which is a band from New York that uh, it's like horny, super dancey, like trauma noise rock. Okay. I'm like, I'm like super blown away by it every time I listen to it. It's like heavy as fuck. It's like equal parts, like super aggressive, like year zero era Nine Inch Nails. And then like shoo shoo influence and then like chat pile influence and it's like their first full length record and it just like blew me away the first time I heard it. And that then um really the uh which actually I don't know if I can say that title because it's not announced yet. So mm. if redact we, that, but we can uh, uh, we can bleep that out for you. Don't worry. Cool. Yeah. Um. The soon to be announced new home is where record. Ooh. Oh, yeah, they have been kind of quiet since that tour ended last summer. So that's cool. Yeah, I like, I love Home Is Where. I've been friends with them for a very long time. And mm -hmm. I used to be roommates with Tilly, their guitarist, and she's so wonderful. And that record, like, made me cry multiple times and is, like, so fantastic. And I'm so excited for that to get released. Okay, very high. I mean, could you tease? I don't know if you know or if you can give it away. Do you know a release date yet? We can we can also add it around all this too. Literally no idea. Mm, damn. That's no. 
Well, that's all good. That's just cool. It's, I'm just happy to hear that another home is where records coming out. I became birds was so like I couldn't believe that was like almost a first a first output, you know. Yeah. That's so cool. Um, okay, so if you could give the world a gift, what would it be and why? Um actual legitimate semi-structural but more like societally structural mutual aid mm. i don't know i don't know if i would be able to feel like a fucking i i don't want to say some shit like world peace or yeah. like a you know like the blanket term of communism or some shit like that because i know mm. someone would like recoil and like call me some fucking tanky for it or some shit but yeah. like uh I truly believe that through mutual aid, networking and organization and care for one another and genuine empathy, every single thing in the world is possible and true, like unrestrained living in joy is possible. And so that would be the gift that I would like to give the world. That's a fantastic answer. Um, what's uh, so after the tour, right? Like uh, we'll make sure to plug the tour before we close out, but um what's what's what else do you guys have coming up you know like do you have anything else planned like studio time or like an, i mean i know you said you wanted to tour again in the fall like what's what's next on your guys radar so finishing up a couple more recordings um trying to do another ep or two before tackling our next record um planning a midwestern run in the summer and then doing a full U.S. run in Ooh. the fall. Nice. And then hopefully Europe next spring, and then hopefully Japan next summer or fall. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, right. it was so strange because, like, Japan is in, like, the top, is in, like, five of our top 15 or 20 cities of, like, listeners. And it was, like, super really? unexpected. But, like, for a really long time, like right after the record came out and right after we dropped thinking about the immortality of the crab, mm -hmm. like three Japanese cities were in our top 10 most listened cities. And I was like, okay, cool. Like that's all the invite we need. We'll yeah. see you soon. Like That's so cool. I mean, Japan does have like a really like beautiful, like gross, like just all this like wonderful, like heavy music and noise history in it. So I, that totally tracks actually in a lot of ways, you know? Absolutely. And then finally, um, you can use this space like any last shout outs you have, anyone you'd love to plug or thank, or like any causes you'd love to speak on, anything you want to talk about, like the next however much you want to talk about is totally your space. Um, I would say just uh, keep up with our TikTok, which feels super goofy, but uh, <laughs> for every single show that we're doing, we're highlighting a different charity that's either in the city or in the state. And we talk a little bit about what they're doing and where you can donate to them. And so that's like kind of our way of making sure that we're giving back to the communities that are hosting us. And um, anytime anyone donates anything to this, you can bring the receipt or just a confirmation of your donation to our merch table. And you can just like have whatever you want. I like don't care. So um, that's what we're trying to do. Uh, we're on tour until the end of April. Uh, <coughs> going all over the damn place 
and then we'll be going to a lot of new places later this year. It's very awesome. Thank you so much for taking time to speak with us, Nat. Um, we're huge fans of the band, and, you know, of Slow Murder, and uh, we wish you a great rest of your tour. Uh, by the time this comes out, I think there will only be like a few dates maybe that we won't be able to squeeze in. But yeah, if the Holy Tabernacle Ghost Choir is coming through your area, you should go see them. Fantastic band. Thank you so much.